Because then what would you not want to see for coinsurance? Like a percentage? Yeah, like you might see 80 or 90% coinsurance. So you won't, and you don't see coinsurance waived or agreed amount anywhere else on a proposal, which means then that coinsurance applies. Yeah. So basically any percentage next to coinsurance, you know, ask, ask for something. Exactly. Maybe an update on your quote, get it, get it waived or agreed amount. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. All right, welcome back everybody. Tom Panos, commercial insurance broker with BKS, an insurance brokerage firm is on the podcast today. Tom consults and sells all types of commercial insurance products. His firm specializes in protecting the assets of commercial real estate owners. I'm using Tom and BKS for all my buildings and operating businesses. So I wanted to bring him on here and shoot an insurance podcast. Thanks for being on. Great to be here, Drew. I really uh, appreciate this. I think we'll have some fun talking about insurance. Yeah, it will be. I mean, something, you know, when you get going buying property, you know, it's something that maybe you don't have any experience with or nervous about. So just want to get on here and kind of, you know, hear what you do for property owners and do kind of like a insurance 101 podcast. Perfect. Sounds great. Cool. Yeah. Why don't um, why don't we just jump right in? You know, like, so what do you do today for real estate investors? Yeah, basically we do risk mitigation and risk transfer. So really what insurance policy is, is you're transferring the risk, your risk for a possible loss to the insurance carrier. And that in simple terms is what insurance policy does. And that's what we do. Okay, nice. Great. Well, yeah. So then um, I guess, first of all, for people that are, you know, just listening or watching, you're, we're both in Chicago. Um, but then do you, you only write insurance in Chicago or what, what do you cover in terms of the, um, where this isn't just a Chicago podcast. That's kind of what I want to. Yeah, no, we're we're a a national broker. We're probably the fifteenth largest, I believe, now in the country. So we have offices in, in in all states, and we're licensed in all states. So I do real estate all over. I have clients in Arizona, Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, Colorado, and yeah. of course a lot here in the Chicago and Illinois. Yeah. Sure. And some of my buildings in Minnesota too. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. I didn't even yeah. mention Minnesota. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. So nice. So yeah, why don't we just start kind of with the basics? So then, um, what's where, where do you want to start in terms yeah, of coverage? Think, or? Yeah, we'll talk about the, the standard coverages you would buy, and then we could maybe talk about some optional coverages too. But, you know, standard is is property. And so what's property coverage? That's the actual physical structure, the building itself. And so we, we ensure that's a replacement cost. And sometimes there's confusion in the markets because somebody says, you know, listen, I bought an asset for a million dollars. Why is re- replacement cost two and a half million or vice versa? I bought it for six. Why is it two and a half? The, I always say the relationship between market value and the replacement cost is zero. There's, yeah. there's no relationship. Um, replacement cost is what it costs to reconstruct that building. So if if the whole place burns down, uh, God forbid, then uh, what is it going to cost to reconstruct? And that's really the replacement cost. And the way we calculate it, there's a couple of algorithms or, or software out there called CoreLogic or MSB, Marshall Swift Bach. And we put in the parameters, the square footage, the year built, the construction, number of stories, number of buildings, and kind of spits out a number that is the replacement cost using current data as far as what costs are. And we know, you know, today we have some costs that are rising. So we're trying to, when we're renewing policies, going back and, and looking at some of those values to make sure we're insuring to value. 
Right. So just kind of to back up. So the first sort of coverage. So as a real estate owner investor, you'd buy is it's a policy on the building cover the physical structure. Correct. And then um, right. And I I we've we've talked about this plenty because there'll be deals where we're paying, you know, above what the insurable, you know, replacement cost is. And um, I wasn't in this deal, but I know someone who bought an office building for like two million dollars and it costs six million to build. Right. So I'm not sure what the insurance, you know, bill is on that, but it's probably more than your average two million dollar building. Sure. So with that being over market value, potentially. Um, But nice. So then so you buy a policy that's on the building. So this what I always call it the underlying policy. What's the actual term for that, though? Yeah, that's just what we call the standard or it is the underlying if we're talking about access, but just the standard, you know, we call it business owners or commercial package policy. And that includes a property. And then we also want to talk about liability. So property is the actual physical structure, as I mentioned. Liability is like what I say, it's bodily injury or property damage that you've caused. So your typical slip and fall. So somebody's on your premises, they get injured, that's bodily injury. And so that's what liability. So those two together are the standard, you know, if you buy nothing else, at least have that on your building, covers the structure and covers if somebody sues you for some sort of negligence or being injured on your premise. And that's, again, a business owner's bot policy or a commercial package. Yeah. And so how I've always thought of that in my head is we have the building and then your general liability. Mm -hmm. And then the the term for general liability, what we're using for that? Um, just, just, just general thing. liability. Yeah. Okay. It's in, and they're usually included together. So we, a commercial package is putting a bunch of coverages together again, property and liability or business owners for like a property that's under 5 million in a total insured value. Um, then that would be kind of also fits into that. The business owners is, is a, a, a package that has a bunch of coverages thrown in together kind of thing for smaller type properties. And then you're getting into commercial packages for larger type properties. Okay. Nice. Great. Yeah. And then one thing that I think is interesting on when we're talking about so replacement costs, like just if you have an actual loss, I think maybe people aren't sure how that works. Um, I figured it out by now, but obviously, (laughs) but um, for those that wouldn't know, how would it work? So let's say your building is uh, or you can make up the numbers, but let's um, how would it work in terms of with, uh, you know, the replacement cost or actual cash value? Yeah, good question. And that's also an important part point to bring up on replacement costs is we ensure your buildings and I do this with all um, the people I do business with is get what's called agreed value or no co-insurance or co-insurance waived. So co-insurance and it's complicated. I won't try to explain it here, but other than if you're not insured to value when you have a loss, the carrier could penalize you the co-insurance clause. And and then so let for example, if you have a $300,000 roof loss for wind, um, but you're not insured to value, they could maybe give you only $200,000 for a loss and say you're not insured to value. So Got that's it. why we always try to get well, a co-insurance waived so there's no co-insurance calculation done. Whatever your loss is up to your building limit, they'll pay for. So in this situation, when we don't have that, if you have a $300,000 roof loss, they're going to pay you up to $300,000 to repair the roof, obviously, less the deductible. Yep. So deductible we're typically using for 90% of our people is about $5,000 because beyond that, you're really not saving a lot of money and taking on again more of that risk for the deductible if you have a loss and then and uh, that sort of thing. So that's really how it's it's uh, would do on a property loss. On a GL loss, there is no deductible. It's, it's first dollar. So they owe you defense, of course, and indemnification, which means that if there's damages that are that are due, um, then they would pay that also. 
Yeah, in the GL, that's the liability piece, and Correct. that's right. Um, you're talking about any defense. So if there's, you gotta go to court. Yeah, if they sue you because or... they got injured, they're gonna assign an attorney. They're gonna go to court, and then you know if it's proven that you were negligent and and you uh, you injured them somehow, then they're going to pay for those damages. Yeah. So then also, so then that's how it works. If you rebuild, what about if you don't rebuild? Yeah, great question, actually. So um, they're not just going to write you a check for replacement costs. Uh, what the carrier does is they give you what's called actual cash value or ACV, which is replacement cost minus depreciation. So they will pay you that. And then uh, if you do reconstruct or as you reconstruct, then they will pay you up to replacement costs. So um, the actual cash value would maybe be, I don't know, 50, 70 percent of replacement cost. Okay. Um, again, if it's a newer building, the depreciation is going to be less, of course, but if it's an, an older building, it would be more. So it's, it's something that's calculated by the carrier, but that's what you would get if you had a total loss and you didn't reconstruct. Yeah. Cause so building owners, they can take on their tax return, a depreciation deduction. This is, this is a different calculation. This is what the carrier calculates it as what the building is, is worth at this point, you know, basically what the new value minus the wear and tear over the years. Yeah, exactly. What the age of the roof is and the electrical and, and you know, the, the age of the units and how much is, you know, it, it's up to date or not up to date. So they do that calculation. So. Yeah. So then anything else we should talk about with sort of this uh, build the property coverage or building yeah. limits or anything? Yeah, I think uh, one of the important things in reconstruction, too, is something called ordinance or law. And, and that's where, um, you know, uh, if you do have a total loss, right, and the building, um, you didn't have sprinklers, for example. Um, but new code or ordinance says in uh, this particular municipality, you have to have sprinklers when you reconstruct. The carrier doesn't owe you sprinklers. They only owe you what you had prior to the loss, like for like as far as replacement. So um, if you didn't have ordinance or law coverage for increased cost of construction, then you would be out of pocket for the sprinklers because you have to reconstruct the code, of course, to get your permits and so forth. So um, in this case, if we had ordinance or law coverage C, which is increased cost of construction, they would pay for, you know, that kind of thing, sprinklers, fire alarms or anything else that's code that you didn't currently have in your building. Yeah. And then do you typically need to ask your carrier to add uh, your agent to add that or what's that standard? Yeah, that's that's something we standardly do because that's what we do as far as, you know, uh, real estate and insuring real estate. But not every agent would do that. So definitely something to look for when you're doing that. It's also coming up a lot in lender requirements these days. So if you looked at those, it would definitely be something that comes up from that. So, yeah. Yeah. And do you think that's are you guys why are you guys doing that as a standard thing? Is it because a lot of the properties in Chicago are older and now we just you guys got used to that or it's uh, just in many areas it came up as a coverage someone would want to. I think I think both actually is coming up in many areas and it's it's like a gap in coverage, if you will, if we don't offer it to you, because, you know, if you do have a loss, which inherently it's going to happen, that's why yeah. we buy insurance. Um, we don't want you to then go, hey, you know, what the heck? Why don't I have coverage for this? Now I got to come out of pocket 200 grand for this new sprinkler system I have to put in my building. And and so we try to give a comprehensive coverage and kind of educate. Like we've talked right. a lot about insurance. We have many conversations. So you understand why we're offering it and why we're doing it. But not everybody does that. But we yeah. try just like the co-insurance thing and getting, you know, that waived and this. We try to do it right. So when you do have a loss, you know. You can sleep at night. Yeah, make, yeah, it makes total sense. So then for the ordinance coverage, I see that there's, you know, when I we talk about it, and I don't know, we don't need to necessarily get into what each of these is, but there's an A, B, C Correct. coverage or term used there. Do you, 
do you have to buy all three at once or how does that work? What do you actually ask for as the as a person getting insurance? Yeah, definitely all, all three is what you're going to want at varying levels, depending on what percentage. A, you're always going to want that up to building limit. And B and C, we can talk about limits depending on the size of the building, the lender requirements and so forth. Uh, but all three would be definitely necessary uh, to cover you properly from an ordinance standpoint. Okay, nice. So then uh, as the person getting the insurance, then you would want to ask about... Uh, you know, talk about replacement costs potentially. And then a lot of times the lender is involved with that anyways. So then that's a conversation. Co-insurance might come up. Sure. Uh, you should ask you for, so co-insurance, what would you want to ask for? Just don't get make it, sure get it's, it out it's of waived it? or okay. I get agreed amount or co-insurance waived. That would be uh, something okay. you want, want to ask for if they're not offering that, but definitely they can do it and they should do it again. So when you have a loss, you're not looking over your shoulder or worrying about you know, a penalty from that standpoint. So always ask for co-insurance. And like you said, on the ordinance, ask for all three A, B, and C, in addition to the, you know, the recover, other standard coverage they're going to give you to property and a liability, which we talked yeah. about earlier. So. Yeah. But then with the co-insurance, you're asking, you, you said ask for co-insurance, but actually ask it to be waived. I'm right? sorry. Yes. So, yeah. So then when you're looking at the quote that you get, you know, the two page term sheet or whatever quote, um, it, a lot of times it'll have co-insurance like as a thing on there and then you just want to see waived. Yeah, like it'll say the, waived or it'll say agreed amount, replacement cost agreed amount, which also means waived. So it's, it's oh, shown okay. a couple of different ways on their proposal. Yeah, I just want to give people like what to actually like do. So I get a quote because then what would you not want to see for co-insurance? Like a percentage? Yeah, like you might see 80 or 90% co-insurance so you won't, and you don't see co-insurance waived or agreed amount anywhere else on their proposal, which means then that co-insurance applies. Yeah, so basically any percentage next to co-insurance you know ask ask for something exactly maybe an update on your quote get it get it waived or agreed amount correct perfect okay nice yeah and then just ordinance you to sort of ask or if you you know say you want it um let's see what else there was something else i was going to mention um one thing that at least comes up on some of my deals where we have in uh like especially in chicago where there's units that are below grade you know, what do you what do you recommend for water backup on this policy? Yeah, good question. Um, it depends on if there are units below grade, we'll, you know, get a higher limit. So maybe we'll go uh, to $100,000 or $250,000, depending on the size of the structure. Um, and other ones where the basement or the underground for sewer backup isn't finished. So maybe we do a 25 or 50,000. Again, it depends on the size of the building and whether there's, you know, fixed units down there. Cause obviously if we have a sewer backup and you have finished units down there, it's going to be much more expensive, uh, on a replacement right. basis rather than just a concrete basement kind of right. thing. Yeah. So then really more that you're just looking to have some coverage on the water backup. And then from there you're. You need to actually look at your building and think about it. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And I kind of do it seamlessly to my clients. Yeah. I kind of look at that and know the building and see if there's stuff in the basement. But it's always good as as an owner to know what you have in the basement or what's down there. And then looking at your water backup limit to say if it's adequate. If I had a sewer backup or water come into uh, the basement itself, am I going to is that limit adequate enough for me to repair what I would need to repair down? There? Right. Yeah, because I think I've gotten either competing quotes or stuff over the years. And then it's, we look at it and it's like, well, yeah, there's no ordinance in this and there's no yeah. water backup. That's why I asked what to ask for, because, I mean, sometimes yeah. your base quote will just not have it. Right. And the then base it, quotes typically have no ordinance in them. Some of them might have like a $5,000 water backup, which, again, typically isn't adequate. Right. So we increase it and then we add the ordinance. But ordinance is not a standard offering in most policies and you have to add extra for it. Okay, got it. Yeah, I just want to make sure everyone knows what to 
what to ask for. Sure. And then, so then what about, so optional coverages? And I guess maybe I'll start with something on, you know, I've had a general liability umbrella, you know, for basically since I started sure. where, um, once you get, uh, you know, even one property, obviously, or some people have these for just themselves walking around. I mean, I have a personal one. I have ones on the property. I, you know, sure. so, I've, but why don't, what's a, what's an umbrella? Yep. Um, umbrella is kind of a bad term. I don't like, I like to use excess liability because umbrella people believe it covers more things and it covers everything, you know, just oh, a picture of the yeah. umbrella or traveler. So I like to use excess because really all it takes is the underlying limits for liability and workers comp and, and auto, just your liability limits. Again, not the property, right? So the property limits, the property limit, the umbrella doesn't touch that, um, but it increases them. So, uh, like yourself, you obviously have multiple properties, you know, 1 million or a $5 million umbrella, is it going to do it for all those properties? So we, we increase the umbrella to 5 million, 10 million, 25 million, depending on the size of the portfolio and, and, and the type of risk. So if you had, um, if you were like a distributor, for example, and you had 20 trucks on a road every day, your liability is pretty high if you get in right. an accident and so forth. So we'd want a higher umbrella for that. Same thing, number of units as a real estate investor, the type of units, what we have there. If you have more commercial with that type of risk, then we want to increase the limits. So it depends on what you have. There's no cut and dry formula right. that says, hey, you know, you have this, you have to have this, you know, umbrella. Uh, you know, because I always tell people I don't have a crystal ball. If you tell me what's going to happen, I'll yeah, tell you how right. much umbrella to buy. I, I, I don't yeah. know that. So yeah, but then so because the way I think of it, so and maybe to help explain it would be on a lot of these. Let's say you have a, I don't know, like a one million dollar apartment building, and uh, you you a lot of those policies, maybe the most general liability coverage you could buy. If I just had to answer that like off the cuff, it'd be like probably a one million per occurrence, two million in aggregate. Is that roughly right, or we're gonna we're gonna have to hire you for okay. insurance because well, you know the terms and everything? No, it's great. That, uh, <laughs> okay, but that's that's uh, um, then if let's say you wanted five million of coverage, then that's when you're getting the excess liability. That's what you're calling it. Yep. Or, okay. Yep. I that's see why what... you say not umbrella because it's not bo boosting up my coverage on the actual building if there's a loss right, there. Right. So then, just because I, I like to put numbers on it, that's how I think about it. So then, if you buy a five million dollar umbrella. And there's one event you really have six million of coverage right the under the first for that one, one occurrence correct on the exactly. property and then up to Plus five an additional five above that so you have six or for more what the aggregate part you talked about for more than one loss in a particular policy period which is a year then you have the the five plus the two which is the aggregate so you have seven yeah and then actually we should touch on that because then that would be even on the your uh your base i keep calling it the underline because i have the excess liability so on yeah. the on the business owners or property or yep. on the property coverage yep. when it says 1 million, 2 million, you want to explain that again? Um, cause that, um, I, I just thought, it, I think it's per occurrence, but you said something with the term. So that's just, yeah. So clarifying. it's, yeah, good, good question. Um, so it's either standard general liability and it's been this way for a long time. So that's why excess is becoming more and more important. Obviously the general liability, the standard commercial general liability limits have been 1 million per occurrence and 2 million aggregate for more than one occurrence in a policy period. So those limits apply per policy period, which is a year. So if you have, if you close on a property on 3-1, your policy period is 3-1, 22 to 23, and then those limits apply for that one year policy period. And then when you renew, they reset. Right. So, and it's on a occurrence basis, whatever occurs during that policy period, 
that's what they pay up to those limits, the 1 million or 2 million. And then again, our access increases those limits. So if we have an event that happens that caught, you know, that has more than 1 million in damages, you're covered for that. Right. And then oh, these events, these are, you know, things where you're having a claim on the policy. Yeah. GL. Yeah. Yep. A general liability claim. So a serious slip and fall, or you have a fire and a bunch of people get injured and now we have a liability claim right. in addition to that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Got it. Okay. What other, what other stuff might somebody buy? You're a property owner. Um, let's say you have employees or something like what might you want to buy? Yeah. Good question. Um, workers compensation, uh, in Illinois is specifically required by law. There's other States like Texas that don't require it by the way. So you got to know the local jurisdiction, of course. Interesting. Uh, yeah, they don't. Yeah. It's a wild west. Yeah, there. I know. Not, it's <laughs> not a surprise, I guess, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But in Illinois, if you have employees, you're required to purchase workers comp. Uh, people say, well, what happens if I don't, there's no workers comp police. There's no, you know, anybody running around and doing that. But if you do have, a, you know, a loss, then if you have an employee like you do and one of them gets injured while working for you and you have no coverage and then they not only can sue you, but then you can get you know, in trouble for not having a workers comp policy. So and that covers exactly what I said. It's it's um, for an employee gets injured while working for you. Obviously, you know, a property manager may have people that work in the office, but we also have maintenance type people right. and people that work in the field. So um, is it likely? for the people to get in the office to get injured as much as the field people? Of course not. And so there's different varying rates depending on what people do, what we call classifications. And so the, the classification for the people in the office, the rate per hundred of payroll is much less than for the people out in the field who are doing work, who could yeah. get injured more, injured their back or smash their finger or get something in their eye or so forth. Uh, right, or you know, paper cut somewhere. probably is not going to be a big yeah. deal in the office. So. <clears throat> yeah. So then what would somebody that's buying workers comp, what should they be thinking about then? Um, just making sure that they, they're, you know, sharing this, the proper payrolls with their agent and the limits for workers comp are pretty standard. So there's nothing there that you need to be concerned about from a limit standpoint or kind of in the policy itself. Um, and that you're just, you know, uh, you know, you're also listing states. So if you're a multi-state operation, you have employees in Illinois and, and Minnesota and Arizona and so forth, we want to make sure that we have the all states or we're naming the states that we have payroll on that policy. So it's not just an Illinois policy. And then you have an, right. you know, an employee in Minnesota. Uh, and then you go, Oh my gosh, we don't have coverage for Minnesota. Yeah. And something else to note on a workers comp policy that's different than all the other insurance I have is there's a, there's an audit at the end of the year. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Different, maybe uh, different than what you might think of an audit where depending on the company size, you know, you're, you're just providing proof of what payroll was made. I mean, that's, this isn't, you know, at least at our size, there's not like a in-person audit or anything where we're yeah, like yeah, an accounting right. audit, but yeah. it's, you submit, you know, cause you tell them, I think my payroll will be X for the upcoming year. You pay your premium based on that estimate essentially, yeah. but then they go back and actually check what was paid. Cause if you paid a lot more in payroll, then they, yeah. you know, you weren't paying enough for insurance. Yep. Yeah. That's the way workers comp policy works this way for every carrier, by the way, and for uh, across the country, it's an estimate based on the payrolls you provide. But like we know, payrolls, they could go up, they could go down, losing employees, adding employees as you grow during the year. So there's an audit at the end of the year, as you mentioned. And then you, on smaller companies, they and especially with COVID years now, they're not sending a lot of auditors out, but you're kind of self-filling out the forms. And then they ask for 940, 941, your tax records, which kind of show your payrolls yep. to prove up 
what you're putting on the actual audit form itself. It's a pretty easy process, but everybody does it. But again, it, it cuts both ways, right? If your payroll has gone up, you're going to get an audit premium or a bill at the end of the policy period. If it's gone down, you haven't lost the money. It actually, then you get that credit back and you either apply it to the next policy period or you can actually get that money back if we move carriers or what have you. Yeah, whereas you get an actual refund. Yeah, so exactly. Nice. Well, great. What other, so what other things maybe a property owner would want to look at buying? Yep. Um, there's a couple things. So if you have uh, property managers and, uh, uh, or maintenance people and are kind of running around and using their personal vehicles, you also have what's a liability for that called hired and non-owned uh, auto liability. This would be only if they're your employees or you're, you're saying just even if you're using um, somebody who's more like a, a vendor then yep. really you do what you should do is check the vendor has this, I guess I can. Yeah. The vendor. Question, yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. yeah. yeah. So just, yeah. So keep going. What would that cover this? Yeah. So this policy? covers your liability. So, um, Brenneman enterprises, whatever name we want to use, you have employees are running around their personal auto policy, assuming they have it, that would cover, you know, the, the primary loss itself. Yeah. But if it's something serious and attorneys involved and, 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 you know, there's a family of four that, something seriously happens to her or something they're going to go hey you know uh tom what were you doing while working yeah. for drew yeah i was working for drew i was running around to buildings doing my job and what have you and so then they could sue you for the liability for your, your employee so that hired and non auto liability covers your liability in the case of in assist excess of their primary because Typical personal lines policies give you 250 or 500 max of G of GL of GL of, of liability. liability. So if you have a serious accident, they're looking, you know, the yeah. attorneys are looking for another pocket to put their hand in, if you know what I mean. So yeah. that, that's when they go after the employer and for their liability of, and that's what covers you from that standpoint. Right. So this is coverage for a vehicle for something that happens with someone who works for you and you do not as the employer own the vehicle. hundred percent. Because if you yeah, own the vehicle, then you, you just, you need to have your, own insurance in the vehicle and maybe you could rope that in with your excess policy too it would be right that's okay. so that would be what you talked about more underlying on your excess policy so definitely uh, if you had your own commercial auto policy if you own vehicles in the name of brenneman enterprises then those would be insured on a commercial auto policy with a million dollar liability with the excess sitting over that yeah okay nice makes sense so then what any anything else i guess one one thing i'll ask about is um we haven't bought any buildings that needed this but we we almost did flood insurance so mm -hmm. what tell me about that yep uh flood insurance um uh, has become kind of a bigger topic a lot of lenders are now checking that when it was never done in the past and and the flood lines due to a lot of things changing um have changed so buildings that may have not been in a flood zone before maybe now uh, oh, so interesting. It's, it's something to check. Um, and so there's two ways to get flood insurance, the NFIP, the National Flood Insurance Program, or there's private market now that as you know, the flood issue has continued to grow, the private market has kind of stepped in. And, and if you can get a private risk, it's typically much more cost effective than a national program. Okay, interesting. Uh, from a rate standpoint, but there's different classifications and I won't get too far into weeds here as far yeah. as you know what type of flood zone you're in um you know a x b whatever and so the rates differ on that and whether you really need flood insurance or not we're all in a certain flood zone but you could be in the 500 year yeah. flood zone versus you know a much more severe one so uh something we check and look at a lot of the systems now will tell you if you're in a flood zone and um 
when we're rating something. And so that's something to consider as well as, like I said, a lot of lenders will let you know that too. Cause a lot of them are also right. running that too and saying, Hey, by the way, you need flood. So flood insurance, a national program that that's, you're buying that through the government. Correct. And then the rest is just normal companies. private market okay. carriers, Lloyd's or what have you, other carriers that are now offering that. And again, it's typically more cost effective if you can get it. It's not always available. It just depends on the risk and where it is and that sort of thing. Nice. Okay, great. What else? Yeah, I think the, the last item, which is kind of under what we're going to call basic insurance for a property manager or a building owner is what we call professional liability or Arizona emissions type coverage with tenant discrimination. That's kind of an important part of it. Um, it's becoming a bigger issue on the tenant discrimination and some policies are having a sublimit. So if you have a million dollar E&O policy, Arizona emissions policy, uh, they'll sublimit sometimes the tenant discrimination these days oh, because, interesting. because somebody might give you 250 or 500 on the tenant discrimination. Yeah. And it's for obvious things. If you're discriminating a tenant by age, sex, race, or what have you, uh, when renting an apartment and you get sued for it, this would cover, you know, again, that liability or that exposure yeah. as a risk, as a, as a building owner, um, for doing that. Yeah. Cause some, if you're, you know, in some States, if you have a real estate license, you're required to have this or this, if you're running like a property management company would be like basic, all your clients would be asking, do you have, ENO? Yeah. In what Illinois, you... it, uh, about three years ago became a requirement to have, ENO uh, as a property manager, oh, when you get licensed at a property manager, I myself as a insurance broker have, uh, required to have ENO, uh, realtors are lawyers, right. you know, kind of people that are giving professional advice, if you will, or doing something where you can, I say, monetary hire somebody to distinguish that liability from general liability by being bodily injury or property damage. I caused you monetary damage somehow by not right. renting, by discriminating against you, and that's where this policy would come into place. Right. So then, as a as a building owner, if you you want to get coverage for something like that happening you can you can buy an eno policy correct just even if you don't have if you're not a licensed broker or salesperson whatever term it is in your state realtor um or licensed property manager, you can still buy the policy and then you just would want to make sure that would be a included coverage yeah for sure because you could still get sued as you know d right. not doing third-party property management or just owning three buildings of your own or even one because you know, a normal property policy or or excess liability umbrella that wouldn't that would would not cover this then or it's an exclusion in the standard policy any kind of Arizona emissions or tenant discrimination is a standard exclusion in the policy okay yeah so that's good good to know that yeah so yeah for sure obviously once I yeah that's that makes a, a lot of sense and maybe let's jump into then what do you let's talk about the process of let's say you're buying a building uh, you know, let's, let's go through the insurance process and touch on also maybe how, what do you recommend for finding, you know, an agent to work with? Yeah. Well, did you want to just flash up my yeah, name and number and that's all they really need to know or, on the screen yeah, here yeah. and then we'll be, we'll be good. <laughs> and be and then this. No, I think it's a valid question. Um, I think there's a few sources, you know, talking to people that, you know, somebody like yourself that's in the business that could be a referral or, um, attorneys lenders, um, mortgage brokers, those kind of people all have connections. I get a lot of referrals from all those people yeah. from clients to, to come to me that, you know, and you just want to find somebody who, Hey, you, you can work with that works in real estate every day and knows the ins and outs of some of these coverages that we talked about. Cause believe it or not, not every agent does. Right. Uh, and we specialize, I mean, you know, about 70, 75% of what we do is commercial real estate. So yeah. if you live it every day, you know, you kind of, 
should understand it. <laughs> right. And yeah, because I would say, I mean, uh, there's a number of agents where they say I can sell you the policy. But also one thing, too, I guess to start is um, if the agent works for an insurance company, mm-hmm. like then they're going to just they're just only able to provide that one company's policy, which that is normal to buy that let's say you have just a, a home and a car to insure sure that's fine like that's what you know my parents had and actually that's what i started out with where i went to just the same companies that run commercials all through the football season and basketball <laughs> you know on tv right but then once you get to like a, a two unit property you start to feel like well now i'm getting beyond what these uh companies are offering and so to me what i would say is on that is you can just ask these agents what are you mostly doing for business because if you know it's interesting for you i like you don't do any personal lines of I insurance at all so yeah. then that's like an obvious telltale sign like well this is this person is doing you know commercial policies and then what you say 75 percent of your business is real estate then right. that's like that's the kind of thing you'd want to be looking to hear exactly exactly that's what you'd want to hear but I, i'm curious what do you i mean obviously we started working together yeah and we kind of hit it off and we, and we do that but what do you look for what do you see in in an insurance guy that you like to see or help yeah i think one thing that um i think how we got to you in part where other people were using your company and using sure. you that i had talked to this other owners okay and then it's uh and we should get into the cold quoting process next but where it's not that easy to compare quotes uh, or i'll just you can dive in more on why but you actually can't um only one agent can get a quote uh, from a carrier. So let's say you went sure. to Travelers mm-hmm. and I wanted to switch from you and I talked to this other agent. When he calls Travelers, they'll say, we already quoted this. We're not going to quote it again. Correct. So it's re- so it's hard to shop carriers or shop agents. You know, so really the only way to do that um, would be you have to have like a new building basically and then you could do it as a as a, you know, as a trial and see. But then if you don't like the new person, then you're making it, uh, a lot harder for your current agent and then you know right. they'll find out you're shopping too which you know <laughs> that's fine but like that um yeah. that uh you know so that's one thing that i guess to point out that makes it where it's not as easy as some things where you just like like with loans you could get you know as many quotes as you want Perfect. um you know i it's never i've never heard of anyone saying well we already um i think they would tell the person we already quoted this but like we'll like on like the debt front, like, but yeah, we'll still quote still it. Like, that's fine. It. There's not this rule that has been, yeah, I think, unique to insurance. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It is uh, definitely that way. So um, when you come to me with uh, the information, which we'll talk about when we go to get quotes at that carrier, there's something we'll call blocking. So once I put in a submission on your behalf, then they won't quote another agent for that particular piece mm-hmm. of business. What's and the reason for that? Would you say? Uh, what would they say? They just I, I, carriers don't like that. I think it gets kind of messy. And then because you're, you know, I may be dealing with one underwriter, and you know, XYZ yeah. companies dealing with another underwriter. So then the, that underwriter do them a favor, or get them a different price, and so now Travelers has two different oh. prices out in the marketplace. So it kind of muddies the water for them. Interesting. Okay, I thought so, you were going to say it's a waste of time in their mind, but actually yeah. now it's two. It's they could uh done checked in one different box or the coverage limits are different or something. And now exactly. it looks like they're quoting different prices to people. Exactly. And, and we've had that when people have gone in and used maybe a different named insured and we have two quotes and now, oh, really? now it, muddy, it really muddies the waters and oh. it gets, 
kind of uh, so that's why they do it. And so and so that's kind of we go back to why you work with your current agent. Does he have access to all these markets or does he have access to one market? So, you know, what we pride ourselves on is having access to a bunch of different carriers. So whatever market you go to, I can bring out like golfing, I can bring out the right golf club. Am yeah. I driving? Am I putting? What am I doing in that particular marketplace? You know what I mean? So um, we have that, right? So we have a breadth of carriers that we can go to that fits because every carrier has its own appetite. What we talk yeah. about, what they like. Does it fit in their little box, I always say. Um, is it frame? Is it, you know, JM, Joyce and Masonry Construction? Is it masonry non-combustible? Is it sprinklered? Is it in um, a high crime area, a low crime area? Is it is it in a... Uh, high catastrophe area so all these things factor into what carrier what club we yeah. use kind of thing and and that's what uh why it's important to pick somebody that you know that has that ability to to bring you different things depending yeah. on that because like you said at some point you're going to be blocked by that person going to you so if you don't think <clears throat> they're doing a good job for you or you know know what they're doing or don't have that ability then maybe right. you're with the wrong person yeah and how we r really started going was we had some older uh, buildings here in Chicago. And then you had a really competitive quote on that, where it was the price, uh, you know, the, like where that, that was one on price primarily because you had access to a different, I think you call it market, but just where to me, it's just a different company Curious. that not everybody else was quoting. And then you had some, uh, you know, special deal with them basically where they have, a you know, something worked out for these older buildings. Yep. And, and it was great. And I think we're still with that same company on those buildings where it's been, uh, no you one's, are. yeah, right. <laughs> no one's, no one's beat it. Um, yeah. and then two, one thing that you guys have done a good job. So I'd encourage people to look for this too, where you make it easy to get the quotes where I've gotten other quotes before and you say, okay, we're buying this building and it's, you know, here's the address and then here's maybe the broker book or some like basic info on it. Right. And then the agent sends you back like a spreadsheet to fill out with like a hundred things on it. Or they're emailing you a checklist and they're asking you like, what's your tax ID for this LLC? And you're like, well, we just put the building under contract. Like we, we don't have the LLC open Why would we have a tax ID. And like, so that kind of stuff. So I guess if someone sends me like that request, like what's your EIN? What's your tax ID now? Yeah. Like, I feel like they're not experienced although right. some of those people that were like 10 years experienced so they're not they were experienced it was, so they just um you make it easy for some reason you know or what if you have some philosophy on that but that's been yeah i, I actually do you know because um before insurance I, I was in a different business and and so i bought insurance um for like an 80 person company so we, oh, nice. we were heavy in the weeds with insurance and 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 um I, I try to make it in, you know, I've been on that side. So I want from this side to make it as easy as possible. We will eventually get that information. But if it's not pertinent to me getting the quote right up front, I don't ask for it. Yeah, we're going to do it properly. We're still going to get all the proper information and ensure you properly. Or I feel like you yeah. look it up too. Yeah. where like some like half <laughs> the things on this spreadsheet I was sent. It was like this is just all out on the Internet. Anyone yep. who's going to go to the building, uh, the city website or the uh, assessor website, they could have all this info. Again, experience, you said it. Yeah, experience. We look it up. I know where I have those resources. I know how to go online. I can measure a building. I can tell you approximately pretty close to the square footage. Just right. experience because I do it every day. So right. I know where to go 
like you said, the assessor's office, other tools that we have in the office where we know where to go to get the info. So I don't have to ask you again, a hundred questions just to get going on that. Of course. Right. Cause some of this where that's, it's a lot of work where, I mean, if we, you know, if you own like 30 buildings like this, filling this, you know, spreadsheet out, it's a lot of work. Of course. You know? yeah. So then, yeah. and we're plenty busy with other stuff. So then that someone's filling out that info and it's never been us with with you guys. So. Yeah, no, we, we do that, like you said, and we take it upon ourselves. But some people, I don't know, I don't want to call it lazy, but, you know, they just figure I fill this out and I'll do it or I won't kind of thing where we take a different approach. So Yeah. And that, no, it's where, yeah, or maybe they don't have the staff or something, but sure. I don't No, I think it was more like a philosophy thing. Like I'll yeah. send me all the info and then I'll get a quote. Right. Whereas, right. I mean, for you, we're usually just telling you like the address and I mean, I know what to tell you that's important, you know, like yep, there is this, you know, other this like issue to look at that you will need to make sure the carrier is fine with or we're going to, you know, it has this kind of like electrical, but we're going to switch it, you know, so but um, yeah, but then, yeah, so you so in terms of so what, you know, uh, I would say I'm looking for where, yeah, it was access to different products and then that helps with getting the lowest rate mm-hmm. and then and then, you know, making the process easy and really like you understand that and then you understand how things really work to where, so like you can explain it, you know, well to me where sure. um, some, there's so many, so much lingo in this, or even you're explaining this in a much more simple way than the regular insurance agent, but there's still uh, not that easy to follow. If this is the first time you're hearing about insurance, sure. almost on the podcast, this is probably a lot of this sounds confusing. And, but from a, someone who just does insurance their whole career, it would sound way more confusing from like another agent too. Right, so. right, right. Well, that's good. I, yeah, I try to make it simple and, you know, I've had enough employees or new people that I've hired and had to train too. And you kind of kind of either yeah. know how to do that or not. And, and it's far to explain it. Then I always try to give them examples because that's, I think how people learn in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. So, and that's why, that's what I try to do. So. Yeah. Which like the ordinance thing, I didn't feel like I had a good grasp of that yeah. to be honest. To the sprinklers example, yeah, um, not today. I've heard that before, sure, you know, but sure. that that makes perfect sense. Where then, because it doesn't have to do necessarily with the buildings age necessarily. They could a city could say, all right, all the new buildings are sprinklers starting today, yep. and your building could have been two years old without sprinklers, and now it needs sprinklers. Correct. So that that's I like that example because that's like a law that you know. Good change. Could change. We are seeing yeah. a lot of municipalities do that. You yeah. Know, over a certain number of floors or something, we're seeing that coming in yeah. a lot. So. so then, yeah, maybe that's how you would find a good agent. I would, in terms of your where to go, I think, you know, too, especially where how we found you and, you know, not, I don't know if in every market it's like this, but at least in Chicago, I know so many different owners. So I didn't, I didn't ask any lenders, brokers or anybody. It was all just owners, mm-hmm. you know, where just other owners I knew. Um, sure. You know, so I'd encourage if you know that, cause then they, they know the actual experience where the person who referred me to you, they were using you and yeah. were having a good experience. So that, sure. um, cause sometimes if you get in a referral, you know, if you, a referral is better than no referral, but if you can get it from an actual like customer, that's going to be better. I would say Agreed. that's why Agreed. I wanted to just chime in on that. Cause sometimes if you get it from a broker or attorney or somebody, maybe they're not actually buying any insurance to you. They've just heard good things, but then yep. uh, like another property owner, they've, they're experiencing what it's actually like. So then that too, that's why it was easy for us to get started. Cause they already, um, you know, seemed like most people I talked to are already buying insurance. insurance from us, yeah. yeah. And happy yeah. anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. So then that, um, Okay, so then that's so then let's just pick it back up where so property 
you want to buy a property. Sure. Uh, so I would say, you know, try to get some of the homework done on who you would use for your agent up front, you know, talking to people like we already discussed. Because once you have a deal to buy, what I would say is you want to get some sort of pricing indication pretty quick on yep. what it'll be because you're running your numbers, whatever that means on your deal. Maybe it's just on a piece of paper like I started out with and they <laughs> um, and but you want to know, like, if your insurance number is good. Sure. And then if you're scrambling to find vendors and this goes for actually for attorneys and everybody like you want to have your people lined up ahead of time. So let's say now we've done that. I found somebody who they uh, specialize in, you know, insurance for you know, real estate or commercial stuff. It's not mm-hmm. just the uh, home and auto person. What uh, what do you what do you do then? So a deal comes in. Yeah. So I think that's a talk to that person, introduce yourself and and just have a conversation on, you know, you'll get the understanding if they understand the market. And then, you know, uh, depending on how many deals you're looking at, you know, we'll we'll provide like indications, right? You know, we, we don't want to obviously, you know, do a hundred a year when you're going to close on two properties. So we ask that obviously you're a little bit closer <laughs> to knowing yeah. you're going to buy that and stuff. But if you see an insurance number that looks crazy low or crazy high, um, with our experience, I know rates pretty well, you yeah. know, based on construction and just kind of doing a, a pretty quick calculation. I can, I, we can give out what's called an indication, what we believe the premium will be. And we'll probably shoot a little bit higher than normal. I think yeah. what many of the indications I've given you, we always come in under that, but I'd rather do that than have you surprised at the end of the deal. Yeah. And um, you're talking about, let's say you're not under a purchase contract yet, right. but I'm looking at this deal going, how is their insurance so high? Right. And then, then that's when to talk to the agent before you have it under contract. Correct. Otherwise, if the insurance, let's say looks kind of normal, mm-hmm. then I would say you should wait to have it under contract Yeah, because exactly. then you're just asking for quotes. Yep. Right? And then okay. at that point, so that that's when we'll get the information again. I'm not going to send you 12 pages that I need you to fill out. We'll ask for the, you know, the offering memorandum, which gives us a lot of information. Sometimes I'll just ask for an address and then yeah. we'll gather a bunch of information and then come up with any other questions I have. There's a lot of well, a plethora of information yeah. available online, so I can find a lot of it based on, again, having doing this every day. And so that's what we'll first do is get the information on the property. How many units, how many buildings, how many stories, construction. Um, sometimes construction is hard to look at from the outside of the building. Yeah, so like construction that, that's, type. Yeah, construction about, yep. type. So is it is it choice in masonry? Is it frame? Is it the new type podium or pedestal types construction where the first floor just masonry and everything else is, you know, stick built above yep. it? Um, because that affects rates. So we, you know, when I give you that indication or when we go into market, I have to tell them what the construction of that particular property is. So again, a lot of that is is found in a lot of the OMs. They'll talk about construction or this is, you know, wood framed or concrete block or what have you. So we'll find a lot there. Um, so that's the first thing is we have to, you know, get all the property information. Hopefully you have an agent who's kind of self-sufficient, can get most of that information. And then we go out to, I call it market, to the carriers, um, depending on, again, what club we want to use. I know older Joyce and Masonry in Chicago, these are my carriers that have the best rates from experience. You know, Frame in in Phoenix, uh, you know, um, low rise kind of thing. These are the carriers that, you know, have good rates just from experience or reaching out to one of our offices. If you, if you, you know, go to Tuscaloosa and I don't have uh, yeah, experience there, to we have this. somebody I can talk to and go, Hey, what are the rates doing down there kind yeah. of thing and what carriers are, are working down there. So we'll go out to those, uh, you know, whatever, three, four, five, seven carriers, whatever it is trying to get, you know, the best pricing and terms 
um, we determine again, the replacement cost, which we talked about earlier. So we'll go online and, and run a calculation on that. So we have a good idea of what that replacement cost would be. And that's what we'll base our quotes on. And so that's, that's all interesting, but also then we want to ask for lender requirements because they've become much more stringent as of late as to what lenders want. They're much more involved and especially if you're doing a Freddie Fannie one, forget about it. That's, you know, that's going to really be, have some stringent requirements, but we always ask for those. Cause again, we could be quoting to something. They may want us to include something that you don't have. Yeah. You know, certain ordinance limits or what have you. Some are setting higher requirements nowadays or what have you, or they want, uh, if you have more than X number of stories, we want this, uh, excess or umbrella limit. So it's, right. it's kind of, it varies. So we'd rather ask that information up front. And this way we're quoting to the right limits. So there's no surprises at the end of the day when, you know, now you're going to close and you go, oh my gosh, we need an umbrella. And yeah. now, now it's an 11th hour fire drill, which we want to avoid. Yeah. Um, but it's actually easy to get, you know, to, to satisfy the insurance requirements for Fannie and Freddie. Cause it's just, here's what it is. Do it. Yeah. We know what those are right now. You know, when you've done it before, we know yeah. exactly what that is. But yeah. also it's, you know, in your appraisal for those, they tell you the insurable value. So it's just, all right, here's the number. Yep. It's not. Uh, we can run our own replacement costs for fun, but it doesn't, they don't care. Yeah. You know, here's the and, and they don't, they have very stringent requirements and, and we know what those are because we do plenty of those. And so we know what that is, but like the other lenders don't have that, or sometimes right. they have different requirements. Um, and that's another thing that we do is then we provide, once we've gone to the carriers and we know the coverages that they're required, we'll provide sample certificates to the lender. So that's why we try to get into the process early. So we're sending them a certificate. It'll have like a sample written on it kind of yeah. thing. And they look at that and go, Hey, these are all the coverages. This is adequate, or we need you to change this or change this wording or whatever. So again, this is all being worked out, not an 11th hour fire drill. I don't like fire drills. Right. Um, I like to get it done ahead of time. And so they've approved this. So once you're ready to close, we're good to go. We're issuing the policy. We're sending those certs now with final certificates and, and, uh, we've, done, you know, our portion of it made it again, easier for you as an owner trying to acquire right. that property, not having any headaches at the last hour or changing premium, right? Because if at the last hour we go, oh my gosh, you need a $5 million umbrella. We had, you haven't factored that into your cost yeah. and now you're adding that. That's a big difference for you. Right. Of course that changes your numbers. Yeah. Or I didn't know on the Fannie one, I needed ordinance or terrorism coverage or any of the, you know, right. um, what about then, what would you, um, what, and maybe I'll just actually I'll just, just say it instead of asking it as a question. But mm -hmm. I would say, depending on the lender, there is some flexibility. So let's say um, a lot of banks, let's say they just ask for the whole loan amount to be like the the policy limit. But the like we already talked about, the policy doesn't necessarily work like that. If you have right. a building that costs three million to rebuild and a four million dollar loan on it, it's, you know the, there's a it's being valued based on the income uh so the and also the land is worth something exactly. so again that's why the replacement cost doesn't tie out uh the building value but like a lot of times you can you can coach them and explain this is fine you want this four million dollar coverage but we ran this replacement cost every which different way it's coming out to like two million dollars there's not there's not a scenario where it's going to pay out for why don't we buy yeah. 3 million instead and stop wasting money and depends on the lender. I would actually, I feel like the Freddie and Fannie appraisals when they have the value, they're not, they're usually less than the loan amount yeah. where, or it's just independent of that, I should say. So it's not just a kind of, uh, okay, we just want the loan amount. It's actually right. based on something that the appraiser is calculating and yep. it seems like they're using kind of similar 
sort they of are. software. They, they, that's what they tell me. They're they're um, they're running the Marshall Swift Block or the CoreLogic, a replacement cost estimator, and we see those pretty good. They're on the low side sometimes, which is okay, but we're still not going to use that number necessarily because I don't it's want the you minimum, to be underinsured. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but. Uh, and they're not flexible on that. The number is a number, whatever they come up with or more is what they want, where we can negotiate. And we have been successful on some deals working with the lenders on either building limits or right. um, ordinance limits. Sometimes they want really high ordinance. You got a, you know, a $40 million structure and now you want 10% of B and C, you want 4 million of each B and C. That gets really, really expensive. Right. So you really need $4 million for those kind of uh, losses an ordinance type loss it's not always linear as a percentage so then we can go back and we uh, we have on a lot of them going back to the lender and negotiated and had that conversation with them because we're knowledgeable about it and been able to to win that uh, yeah. and, and get it down to a million or something which makes some sense and, and and can save you dollars and still have you properly protected right yeah so i just want to point that out where with some we said with fannie and freddie it's not flexible but with, with some it is it is you know with with providing them information and some we'll call it like coaching on how this would actually yeah. work where we're just sort of wasting money in my example with coverage where would never actually receive anything for right, right. so yeah, exactly okay nice yeah so then that's that's the process so yeah you want to get the get it started early you know with finding the right person and then getting your information in on the building once you get you know it under contract sure get your lender requirements over to them right away once you know the lender yep yep okay nice and then from there you know just yeah then we kind of go to work and we might some have some questions for you if we see something questionable on it well you know yeah. maybe have some questions because there are some red flags out there that people should also look for when they're looking at a building that carriers don't like or are a problem oh um, interesting yep and you know a couple of them um we've talked a little bit about these are electrical electrical is becoming a big issue especially um, buildings in the seventies, if you will, um, they have like stab locks. Um, yeah. Which has like uh, a type of panel out of the company. Yeah. It's the a type, type of panel or Zinsco is another name for them. And they're a type of, uh, circuit breaker that kind of, um, that runs hot and you have issues with fire yep. and so forth. And so a lot of carriers won't write that kind of electrical, uh, system in a building. So we have to, you gotta be cognizant of that. Yeah, because uh, it limits your market. So when we're limiting what carriers we can go to, it's also increasing your premium. If I only have one carrier, will do it. We're kind of right tied to that one carrier that will do it. Or if you have aluminum wiring, we 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 see schedules. Uh, one of the colleagues in the office is working on a large schedule out of Ohio, and they have a ton of aluminum wiring. Well, again, that's pretty much a red flag for a lot of carriers. Right. We have one carrier that will write it. We have it done cost effectively, but. It's really, you know, a tough go for those kind of things. So there's certain things that they don't like. The other thing we're seeing now is everybody, uh, the underwriting is becoming much more sophisticated from an underwriting standpoint. There's a lot of data that they're buying. I mean, we have carriers that fly drones out uh, oh, nice. that look at roofs, can tell you the condition of oh, roof yeah, and how sense. old it is and so forth. So they're using a lot of that. They can tell you crime scores. And, and so they're basing a lot of their rates or, or uh, depending on what the crime score is in a particular area. They can tell you down to the block how many fires have been on that block or how many wow. losses have been on that block. Um, they can tell you um uh the um uh just you name it whatever property information that's out there wow. they have access and data to all this and so it's it's before that wasn't available to all the carriers and so they're using a lot of this information um and sometimes this helps us and sometimes it doesn't help yeah. us of course so 
Interesting. Yeah, that uh, I know I know things have changed a lot this year, you know, in terms of just with with insurance. Just I know that rates are up on certain policies. And sure. um, that's interesting. I hadn't heard about how much more data and technology they're using for quoting it. Yeah, that's interesting. they're they're. I have a one carrier that quotes condo associations and are notorious for having, you know, 12 buildings, 300 units and lots of roofs and, and, um, condo associations are kind of self-funded, right? So yep. the roofs aren't necessarily done in a timely manner, if you will, I'm putting right. it nicely. So, but they have, uh, this data that, and, and it must be a provider. I don't know who provides it to them, but they'll tell us basically how old that roof is. And, and, uh, and they base their oh, wow. rates on that kind wow. of thing. So it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's gotten pretty advanced that that yeah. wasn't happening five years ago. You know, yeah. that was not something that they had that available for that. But a lot of this, what we call insure tech has been coming up into the market and, you know, they're able to get so much more data. So, I mean, they'll tell us about tenants in a building or whatever, or what about this or that, or they'll even, they have access to uh, code violations. So that's another one we start seeing where they go, Hey, we're quoting this building. What about these 12 code violations we found wow. Have they been taken care of kind of thing before they close, or are they going to take care of them in the first 60 days after they close? So there's that's a lot more information out there on buildings, electronic data. So nice. Well, that should bring the prices down now that they can <laughs> quote the risk so accurately, right? That's you, you would think, unfortunately that uh, we're not, we're not seeing that in today's marketplace. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Let's close then with this kind of what's maybe just with, let's say let's, someone's been listening to this. They already, you know, maybe a few of these things were new, but let's, let's say what's happening this year, kind of like new topics or what's going on with rates. Yeah. Uh, um, I think that's, uh, that's a valid question. Um, you know, during the last couple of years, we've really seen, seen some pretty high rate increases on property. Um, I think the data shows us that uh, four of the last five years, uh, there have been in the U.S. over $100 billion worth of losses. With a B, right? With a B, yeah, $100 billion, um, which is obviously a lot. And so we're not seeing, um, you know, rates dropping. We're in what we call kind of hard market, which means that, you know, the uh, supply is not keeping up with demand. So we're still seeing increasing rates and much more what I was talking about, underwriting scrutiny, you know, depending on where you are. Is it a cat type? you know, risk, um, you What's, know, uh, define the cat. I'm sorry, catastrophic type risk. So is there wind or hail? Um, then they have all kinds of data on hail. So Colorado try, buy, tried, you know, buying insurance without a higher wind hail deductible does not exist with any carrier. So, Interesting. so you might have a $5,000 property deductible, which we talked about earlier, but wind hail, they may have a 25 or a 50 or $100,000 deductible, depending on the size of the roof and the building itself. Yeah, I know. On, uh, I think it was something we were looking at in Texas. You were, it's a percentage. Yep. So tell us about that. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's how that works. So in Texas is another good example, Florida, of course, and, and Colorado, when there's a lot of catastrophic type losses for wind because of the you know storms that have happened, um, they won't offer the standard property deductible they give you a separate deductible for wind or hail. So, and that it varies by carrier. It can go anywhere from 1% to 5% or a fixed number, 25,000, $100,000. So if you have a, a wind or a hail loss, that deductible is going to apply, not the standard $5,000 deductible. But 5,000, uh, five, let's say 5% though, of, the, of what? Of the building limit. Right. So it's really high. I want to make sure that was clear. Not of the loss amount, just no. this could be of the limits. Right. You yeah. have a $1 million apartment building. And if it's for what you're talking about, your deductible is 50 grand. Correct. That's a huge deductible. That's and correct. Yeah. Imagine that on, you know, a 
20 yeah. million dollar building you know, exactly right? it's, it's yeah. real and that's money. where and it, it doesn't become a percentage right that's when we might go to 50 or a hundred thousand dollar deductible it's still going to be a yeah. high number because again they're trying to protect themselves from that from these huge losses that they're taking but so that's that's becoming an issue we're actually you know if we're talking to just chicagoland some of the carriers are trying to bring that into this marketplace because we're seeing more hail uh, losses here and we're kind of fighting it yeah. um, and able to hold it off for now. But we see it in, uh, creeping in a lot more marketplaces because of all that hail data they have and, and all the information they have and they what they can predict as far as hail losses. Yeah. So, interesting. They so, um, can I should be more worried about the yeah. glass breaking. Yeah, the, no, right. You know, on the stores. Right, than, um, right, right. And then the other thing we talked about was excess. So um, that uh, due to social inflation and what we call nuclear losses, which are more than 10 million is growing tremendously. And so umbrellas have become very much scrutinized uh, much more than before. And the rates, you know, 10, 15, 30, 30% uh, increases we're seeing on umbrellas, if you can get it. Like year so, over year. Yeah. Yeah, so we're seeing some huge increases on those because of the capacity there and these these nuclear losses. The carriers are really pulling back and really scrutinizing where before I could go, hey, add these five properties on the umbrella. They wouldn't even ask. Now they come back with 30 questions on each location and and uh, and they have access to data on who the tenants are or or that sort of thing. And then they go, well, boy, that's a tire storm. We may not want to add that location on because it's a higher risk than having uh, a CPA office in that. Yeah. In that but then what's, what's driving these increases? I mean, originally I was, you know, I mean, it just what popped in my head was a, a COVID related thing, but not, not really. a lot of claims actually got paid out on that. We no, it's really a, just, just a lawsuits, large lawsuits and loss, uh, uh, losses that are being paid out on the umbrella. Cause again, that first million is on a standard policy, but the excess. So you, now you have 10 million, 15, $50 million right. uh, claims that are being paid out and going into the umbrellas. And that's where, why they're becoming so high. So it's kind of a capacity reinsurance issue, which I won't try to get too far yeah. into the weeds on it, but there it's just, uh, you know, what they have available. It's, you know, it's like anything else in a marketplace kind of supply and demand. So. Yeah. You don't want to do a reinsurance. we'll we'll keep that for the uh, next session no i'm just just kidding but that is how uh like you know berkshire hathaway makes a ton of money check it out on your on your own time maybe but cool yeah that uh well interesting so then you also with the umbrellas you said if you can get it like what sort of companies or properties are there are there basically no umbrellas for right now then um they're hard to get for certain properties with high um crime scores um, cause again, this has nothing to do with the property size. So we don't care yeah. about wind or hail right, or right. catastrophe. We care more about, you know, liability. So high, um, uh, what we call high hazard risks. So again, if it's a plastics manufacturer and you have a bunch of plastic inside a building, well, if you have a fire there, okay, you're going to have a big loss. Okay. Cause that's going to, going to go. So it's hard to get the umbrella for those kind of risks. So it depends on the underlying hazard, which we talked about. Got it. Okay. Apartment buildings, and this is kind of what we're geared towards. Um, all the become rates are up. They're a little bit harder to get because the capacity is down, but we can normally get an umbrella, you know, for yeah. for a building, unless it's in a really, you know, hundred crime score type area. Then we might have some issues trying to get it. We have, we'll get it. It'll be a much higher rate, of course. It's interesting um, on the crime piece, because I mean on some of this where I actually would just without having any info think the these high claims it, it's it's maybe not a crime related thing it's someone who was a really high income potential person got hurt 
you know, back when I was doing student housing, the example sure. from, I think my property manager or carrier then was just imagine like two medical students, you know, <laughs> slipping and falling the full career of, you know, doctor wages there in front go. of them. Yeah. You know, you think that $2 million billing limits enough, you know, and then that's, you know, those people make that in a, you know, each in a decade and they the whole career wiped out. You know? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't do the underwriting, so I don't, you know, run those all the the tables and stuff. I leave that for the techie guys yeah. and, and the carriers do that. Um, that's kind of just what we experience from them kind of thing. But yeah, I agree with you. But, um, you know, I don't know how their data pans out, how the crime score directly relates to that. That's just kind of been our experience. Yeah. So. Well, it makes sense. And maybe the, you know, if the properties aren't as good a condition or something, that's, it's not on the property, but that could lead to more just, you know, yeah, more slip and falls if it's or, not being, you know, done yeah. properly and stuff. So, nice. um, yeah. yeah. Anything else? Um, just a couple uh, items. Uh, and, and, uh, the, uh, ransomware, uh, cyber liability is a big issue. Not so much for building owners, unless you're, you know, a property manager, even a third property manager, and you have computer systems and people's personal information, something you want to talk about. Um, we see it every day in the news. We see, you know, ransomware attacks, people taking over companies and, and, and uh, you know, keeping their data and so forth. So a robust cyber policy, if you have that kind of exposure, talk to your agent about it. Um, those rates are exploding also because of the plethora of losses that they've had and and uh, right. that is going on out there. But just something to consider or keep in mind if you have that kind of, and if somebody took over your system, you couldn't run your business. Right, it's very valuable. Very valuable, something you want to think about. Right, yeah, and I can see why those premium, premiums would be a lot. There's a huge loss potential. You know, yeah, so and, some of these companies, they're holding millions of dollars and then they lose. Yeah, we've had insurance companies, uh, not ours, but other even carriers or other agencies, large ones that, They've locked up their data, and and it it really costs them millions and millions and millions of dollars to get it back. The ransomware, and it's it's in in terms of basically just a payment to the whoever locked it up. Yeah. Wow. And then you never hear exactly what they paid out. You yeah. Hear, but you don't hear. You know, it happened in one of the was it a gas or a, a provider down in the south that where they did yeah. that and they took over their system. So this is you know again it's, be it's, more it's more. becoming more and more of an issue so just something to be aware of as you're you know thinking about your exposures and talking to your agent about that that's another issue to talk about yeah makes sense well nice what about uh, so then i guess really we haven't even i feel like felt like like so today there feels like there's obviously more inflation than uh, a lot of periods of time yeah. but even what you're talking about isn't even inflation this is more just the risks on certain things are way up i mean the umbrella thing that made a lot of sense and this, yeah. I mean, when you just think off the top of your head, all the big things that have happened, you know, like with the everything in Texas freezing and all the hail and, uh, you know, um, the wildfires in California, like it's easy to just think like, yeah, there's been a lot. Yeah. And then and that, you, um, you know, you look at the Vegas, uh, you know, the shooting at that country concert where all those people were, uh, you know, uh, either killed or injured and what yeah. have you. That's a huge lawsuit, you know, uh, happening there as far as, Interesting. you know. Uh, so those kind of things are, are going on, of course. And, and so that's, you know, again, why the losses lead to that. You, you mentioned inflation. I'll talk to that for a second. So uh, we, we're seeing a lot of inflation today, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, first quarter, we're seeing some high jumps. And, and so we're going to see some in premiums if that continues to rise because inflation is a factor that's factored into premiums when they're doing their calculations on what the adequate rate is. Inflation is one of the things because if we had, we expect X amount of losses, if it costs X amount to replace that building, for example, but now that 
it costs so much more if we're going to have yeah. X amount of losses, they're factoring that in. So that'll increase rates also if that's something that holds on yeah, long term. Really so more on the to building. Be, yeah, to be okay. determined from a property standpoint to see if it if it holds on long term, then we'll start seeing some of those increases due to that large inflation. So. Yeah, makes sense. Great. Well, yeah, let's leave it there. I mean, sure. thanks for yeah. being on, Tom. I mean, great job. I think we'll you know definitely should have you back. We should do like a year end kind of what happened this year, sure. maybe in insurance. And then I got you know questions I didn't really get into, but more maybe more in the details thing. Like you mentioned, the Zinsco or stab block panels. We can talk about what to do when you run into those, or just other more deep in the weed stuff for like a you know round two of this sure so. we'll do uh insurance uh, 201 on the next one i uh, enjoyed it thank you for having me it was a great time thanks great yeah how can people watching or listening get in touch with you if they want to you know uh, yeah yeah uh either email or phone my uh, phone number is 847-940-4228 or tom.panos at rosenthalbros.com or just call drew and he'll be happy to share yeah. my info so perfect yeah we'll yeah we'll put that in the show notes and on the screen too and uh, on the video perfect great well yeah thanks for being on nice episode great appreciate thanks it. thanks for having me appreciate it until next time everyone thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode thanks for joining us on the rise and invest podcast please be sure to hit that subscribe button on youtube or wherever you enjoy your podcast if you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing check out our company's website riseinvest.com where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.